James chapter 1. And at this time, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little ones who are going to Children's Church, they can meet the volunteers in the back. We are working through a sermon series that we're doing this fall that we are calling the Law of Perfect Freedom. We're going to be reading from the Ten Commandments, uh, focusing this morning on the Third Commandment, but it is my hope and prayer that all of you will be memorizing these Ten Commandments, so I'll just go ahead and start at the beginning just to refresh your, your memory before we read our theme verse from James chapter 1. Uh, what we are saying as sort of a, a big idea for this whole series is that when we understand the law of God within the context of the gospel of God's grace, when we understand that Jesus, the perfect law keeper, kept the law that we could never keep perfectly in our place and then imputed his righteousness to us as we receive it by faith, when we understand that idea, then the law no longer accuses us. The law becomes for us a guide to how we can become more like Jesus in the practical matters of worship, which is the first four commandments, and then the practical uh, life of neighboring and loving our neighbors, which is the last six commandments. But let's give our attention to the reading of God's word, beginning at Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and we will read through verse 7. This is the reading of God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now turn with me to James chapter 1 and we'll read verse 25. James chapter 1 verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these Ten Commandments. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to grow in our relationship with you as we learn to keep these commandments, not out of a sense of, of duty or obligation, not as a way to manipulate you, not in order to earn our salvation, but as a way in which we might enjoy our salvation, the salvation that you have earned for us through your death in our place. We thank you, Lord, that you are the living God, the resurrected King, Lord Jesus. 
And we ask that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. I want to begin with a question, and it is this. What do the following words have in common? Are you ready? I wrote them down just in case. Shucks, rats, gosh, dang, darn, dang it, darn it, gosh dang it, and gosh darn it. <laughs> Fooey, heck, shoot, jeepers, jeepers, creepers, Jiminy Crickets, Jiminy Christmas, G's, crud, good grief, good gravy, gadzooks, jack wagon, bull snot, Bolshevik, shut the front door, fiddle faddle, fiddle sticks, malarkey, my lanta, dad burn it, dag nab it, dad blame it, dad gum it, doggone it. Great googly moogly. <laughs> Great Caesar's ghost. Jeez Louise. For Pete's sake, for heaven's sake, for crying out loud. Crud, crud muffin. Son of a biscuit. Son of a biscuit eater. Son of a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Son of a motherless goat. I don't think that's possible, but we say it. <laughs> now, if you answered Christian swear words, then you are correct. Why do we have Christian swear words? We have Christian swear words because Christians are taught from a young age that we are not allowed to use regular swear words. And so we have discovered a loophole. If we say nonsense words, many of which sound a lot like actual swear words when we are angry or frustrated or upset, then technically we are not breaking the third commandment. Here's the question. Is that what the third commandment is really all about? Is it about cursing or cussing or swearing? Is it about using, uh, replacing bad words with slightly better words? Now, while it is certainly true that I believe this commandment is teaching us that we should not curse, that's one of the ways that we take God's name in vain, and we'll talk about that in a moment, I think that there's something much bigger here. I think that this commandment is teaching us that all of us as God's people are called to reverence God's name. We're to take God's name seriously. We're not to profane God's name in the sense of taking it as something that is ordinary or common or worthy of derision or disdain. It's about our words, certainly, but I think it's also about our actions. It's about how we honor God with the things we say, but also through the things that we do. As Christians, we have been given God's name. We've been adopted into God's family. Because of Jesus, God, the great God of the universe, knows our names. And so the question is, do our words and actions paint an accurate picture 
of who our Heavenly Father is. Are we using God's name rightly, or are we taking God's name in vain? These are some of the questions we'll consider this morning as we walk our way through the third commandment. As we do, I want us to unpack it by asking three big questions of the text. Number one, why is God's name so important? What does God's name tell us about God's character? And subsequently, what does God's name tell us about our relationship to him? Why is God's name so important? What's in a name? Second big question is, how do we take God's name in vain? Cursing? Hypocrisy? Lying? Is it about our words? Is it about our actions? Is it about a little bit of both? We'll see. Third, how do we positively honor God's name? How do we glorify God with our words and our actions so that when people hear us speak about God, they are attracted to him because they get a sense of who he really is and what he's done for us? How do we honor God's name? By the time we're finished, I hope that you will see that God's name matters. It matters so much that God wants us to be thoughtful and intentional with how we represent him with our words and our actions. So how do we do that? Let's take a closer look. We begin with God's name. Why is God's name so important? Now, you might have noticed as we read the commandments that the third commandment is the first commandment where God refers to himself in the third person. In the first two commandments, God uses first-person languages. He says in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, first person. In the second commandment, he says, for I, the Lord your God, first person, am a jealous God. But here he says something that's slightly different. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, third person, for the Lord, third person, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now the question is, why the shift? Why does God go from speaking in first person to third person? Here's the clue. I think what he's trying to do here is to emphasize his holy name, the name the Lord. He wants us to pay special attention to his name. The word Lord, usually written in our English Bibles in all capital letters, is an English translation of a Hebrew word, a word that we translate Yahweh. For those of you who are Hebrew scholars, it's yod Hey vav Hey or Y-H-W-H. If you learned to... Uh, study the Bible using the old King James Version, often that will be transliterated into the name Jehovah, but probably Yahweh is a little bit more of a literal translation of the name. Yahweh is God's personal covenantal name. Now, the first time we ever encounter that name in the scriptures is in Exodus chapter 3, when God appeared to Moses speaking to him out of a burning bush. God told Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
Now Moses, when he heard this voice speaking from the burning bush, was understandably a little bit reluctant to do what the burning bush was saying. He was preparing to go into the royal throne room of Pharaoh, who was arguably the most powerful, most dangerous, most violent man on earth, and tell him that he must release a million slaves on the authority of a talking bush. Furthermore, he was going to have to convince the people of Israel to leave the land of Egypt and to follow him out into the desert again on the authority of a talking bush. I imagine that most of us would be a little bit uncomfortable asking our husbands or our wives to bring us a cup of coffee on the authority of a talking bush. And so Moses said, I need some more information. I need to know your name. I need to know who it is that is sending me on this seemingly suicidal, impossible mission. And God said, Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh has sent me to you. That name Yahweh, I am, refers to God's self-existence, his eternity, his sovereignty, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. He's saying, I am the God who exists. I am the God who has always existed. I am the God who will always exist. And furthermore, I am the ground of all existence. You exist and the world exists because of me. But there's more. Not only does God's name, Yahweh, I am, communicate his sovereignty, his power, his glory, it also speaks to the personal relationship that God has with his people. Don't lose sight of the fact that this name, Yahweh, is God's personal name. He's not just God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. He's Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's the God who appeared to Abraham and called him and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's the God who appeared to Isaac and Jacob. He is the God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. He is the God who parted the Red Sea. He is the God who led the people over on dry ground. He is the God who is our Savior and our King. He is the God who was promised in the book of Isaiah, the suffering servant who would die on the cross. And even as we looked on the one who was pierced, we might receive grace through his death and life through his resurrection from the dead. That he might provide for us the kingdom of God, a kingdom of love and joy and peace, of justice and righteousness and holiness and joy unspeakable, unstoppable joy. Now, fast forward to the New Testament where we meet a young carpenter from Nazareth, a young man named Jesus. 
Everywhere he went, Jesus performed miracles. Everywhere he went, he was preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, he told the people to repent and believe and receive the grace of God. The religious leaders were skeptical. Who is this young man from Nazareth? Where is his training? Where is his education? Who is he to speak in the name of the Lord? And so they confronted him and asked him the same question that Moses asked the burning bush. He said, what is your name? And Jesus said, John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The religious leaders understood exactly what he was saying. They picked up stones to stone him to death for committing the sin of blasphemy, for claiming to be God. But do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm more than a prophet. I'm more than a teacher. I'm more than a miracle worker. I'm more than a king. I am the self-existent God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, your king. And so here's the point. The name of God is more than letters on a page. God's name is God's character. God's name is God's reputation. Here's a quote that sums this up very well by Phil Riken. He says this, For us, a name's a label. It's something that we have, not something that we are. But for the Hebrews, the name was inseparable from the person. The name Yahweh communicated God's glory in creation and redemption. And thus, it deserves as much reverence as God himself. What's in a name? Well, when it comes to the name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am, Jesus Christ, it's everything. Second big question. What are some ways that we are prone to take God's name in vain? What are some ways which we commonly break the third commandment? Now, let me give you four practical applications here. What we're going to do is we're going to start in the shallow end of the pool, and we're going to work our way a little bit deeper and deeper until we get to what I think might be the heart of the commandment. But all these are practical applications of ways that we tend to break the third commandment. All right, number one, the third commandment prohibits using God's name as an obscenity. Now, we talked about this a little bit in the introduction, so I won't belabor the point, but at its most basic level, this commandment teaches us that we should not use God's name as a curse word, as an expression of anger or frustration, as an exclamation point. That's not what God's name is for. When we do that with God's name, we're taking something that is holy, that is set apart, that is glorious and mighty and praiseworthy, and we're dragging it through the mud. Imagine uh, going up to your, your grandma's house, visiting your grandma, and she gives you a gift. She says, here's my wedding dress. And you take that wedding dress and you turn it into a kitchen rag. You just wipe up spills off the floor. We would never do that. It's precious to us. It has meaning to us. 
And yet, that's exactly what we do when we take God's holy and precious name and we use it as an expression of anger or frustration or obscenity. So, I guess the question is, what do we do instead? Christian swear words? Fiddlesticks? Oh gosh, oh golly. Well, how about this? How did David and the psalmists express their emotions in the book of Psalms? Well, they certainly didn't use curse words, whether Christian or uh, secular in nature. They instead simply expressed their true thoughts and feelings to the Lord. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm afraid. My heart is breaking. I'm mourning. Maybe, just maybe, the curse words that we use, including and especially taking God's name in vain, are words that we use because they keep us from expressing our true feelings. Curse words don't naturally lead themselves towards introspection. If I say, dang it, or darn it, or gosh, or whatever, that's, that's it. But if I instead say, I am so angry, then the question that follows after this is, why am I angry? Do I do well to be angry? Is this sinful anger? Is this idolatry bubbling up in my soul? What exactly is going on in my heart that would make me angry at this thing? If I drop something on my foot, which I am prone to do, instead of muttering curse words under my breath, Christian or otherwise, I could say, I think I broke my foot. I'm in a lot of pain. This hurts. Maybe that non-obscenity could be turned into a prayer. Lord, help me. Lord, give me relief. Lord, take away this pain. Do you see how different that is? Now, am I going to walk around the church policing your uh, gollies and your gosh and your darnets and your dangs? No, I am not going to do that. Are some of those words uh, a preferable alternative to other words that you could be saying? Yes, they are. But is there a better way? Is there a way to express your thoughts and your feelings to God in a way that, that they become prayers? In a way that they seek the Lord's help and glorify Him in, as we speak? Number two, the third commandment prohibits making empty claims about God. We see this in passages like Jeremiah 14, verse 14. God came to Jeremiah and he said to him, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to, him, to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. In other words, these prophets, these religious leaders, these preachers were coming to people and they were claiming to be speaking in God's name, but in reality, they were speaking lies in God's name. They were making empty claims about God and His Word. Now, sadly, throughout history, 
many religious leaders have made empty claims about God, correctly, incorrectly saying that God endorses things like slavery or polygamy or adultery, apartheid, abortion, murder, spousal abuse, misogyny, pride, arrogance, racism, materialism. All of those things are things that God desperately and stridently opposes, and yet, throughout history, some who have spoken in God's name have said, God endorses this. That is an empty claim about God. Throughout my life in Christian education and things like this, I had many, many people explain to me that the world was going to end at such and such a time. Has anyone ever told you this? The world is going to end in uh, 2025, right? I I was reading the book of Revelation with a calculator in my hand, and uh, I ran the numbers, and the Lord is going to return. This in spite of the fact that Jesus says, Even I don't know when I'm going to return. And so I have less faith in the guy who's reading the Bible backwards and diagonal uh, to come up with a correct prediction of when God is coming back. I think that is a violation of the third commandment. It's a sin to make empty claims about God, to speak in his name and to speak lies instead of the truth. Number three, the third commandment prohibits making presumptuous claims about God. Stop me if you've heard this. God told me to do this. Or, even better, God told me to tell you to do this. Ever heard that? I have. As Christians... We can't claim divine authority for the choices that we're making unless those choices are directly addressed in God's word. That's a violation of the third commandment. We can say, I think God wants me to take this job, or we can say, I sense that God wants me to pray for you. We can't say, God told me to fire you two days before Christmas. Or, my personal favorite, hear this one all the time, God told me to break up with you. Now, I only heard it once or twice, just to clarify, but I keep a box of Kleenex in my office because poor broken-hearted people come to my office all the time. Pastor Joel, my girlfriend just broke up with me, and apparently so did God. When we speak presumptuously in God's name, when we claim divine authority for things that God has not addressed, that is a violation of the third commandment. Number four, definitely the most serious one, the third commandment prohibits us from claiming to have a relationship with God that we don't actually have. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 7, where we we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who calls upon my name will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy 
in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, you see the problem here? These people had correct theological views. They were going to Jesus and they were saying, Lord, Lord. They were saying, you are the Son of God. You are the great I am. I know who you are. They had uh, correct emotional feelings about God. In the Hebrew, when people wanted to emphasize something, they would say it twice or three times. Holy, holy, holy. And these people say, Lord, Lord. They clearly have an emotional connection to Jesus. They don't appear to have dry, dusty, lifeless faith. They were busy, very busy. They were doing all kinds of activities, Christian activities, in the name of Jesus. They were doing outreach. They were doing evangelism. They were doing mercy ministry. They went on mission trips. They came to youth group every single Sunday. They had the head, the correct understanding. They had the heart. They had the passion. They had the hands for service. What's missing? What's the problem? They never knew Jesus' name. They were taking God's name in vain by claiming to have a relationship with Jesus that they didn't actually have. Correct theology is important, but correct theology does not save you. It's right here in Matthew 7. Being passionate about God and having an emotional encounter with God, that mountaintop experience, great, that's good, but that does not save you. Doing good works, whether it's making meals for students or collecting things for the homeless or ministering to the prison, prisoners, all those good works, beautiful, good, those good works do not save you. Only Jesus can save you. And in order for Jesus to save you, you have to know his name. What does the name Jesus mean? The name Jesus means Yahweh is my salvation. What does the word Christ mean? Christos. It means Lord or King. And so you cannot claim to have a relationship with the true God of the universe without acknowledging that you are a sinner who needs salvation and that Jesus is your Savior. You cannot have a relationship with the true and living God unless you say, I am a rebel by nature and by choice. I resist God's law. I resist God's word. And yet God is my King, the gracious King who leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you want to know his name, the name of Jesus, you have to come to him with an open heart. You have to come to him with empty hands. You have to renounce your old name, your old identity, and take his name as your new identity. That's what happens when you believe it's about leaving the old family, the family of Adam, and joining to a new family, the family of Jesus. We break the third commandment when we claim to have a relationship with God that we don't actually have. 
but we keep the third commandment when we come and honor the name of God, coming in faith and believing in Jesus as our Savior and our King. Now that leads to the third big question, and it's this. How do we honor God's name? We're we're almost out of time, so I want to breeze through this. Let me give you three quick ways that we can keep the third commandment. All right? Think about these, three L's. Lips, lives, and liturgy. Okay? The first way that we keep the third commandment is with our lips. Instead of lying about God, we tell the truth about God. Instead of using our words to tear people down, people who are made in the image of God, we use our words to build people up. Instead of using God's name as an obscenity, we use God's name to bless people. We use his name to sing and pray and preach and teach God's word, not only in the worship service here on Sunday morning, but in the prisons and in the hospitals and in our living rooms and wherever it is that God gives us opportunity to use our lips to glorify God's name. What we say matters. Let's honor God with the words that we speak, saying true and helpful things in his name. Number two, we honor God, God's name with our lives. Uh, I, most of you know I live right around the corner, about two miles from here, right off of Highway 97. Now, people drive very, very fast on Highway 97. I think it's 45 mile an hour speed limit, but that's not a thing. So I was driving home on Highway 97 one day, and uh, I was going a little bit faster than the speed limit. That's another commandment for another day. But all of a sudden, this, this truck comes like speeding up right behind me. This guy's like two feet from my bumper. Literally, if I tap my brakes a little bit, he was going to hit me, right? So he's tailgating me. Tail- I sped up a little bit. He gets getting closer and closer. All of a sudden, he swerves around me, passes me on a double yellow line, gets in front of me, and it's a a truck from a local plumber. And as it happens, there's a giant phone number on the back of that truck. (laughs) So I pull out my phone, I took a picture of that phone number, and uh, when I got home, again, not calling or texting while driving, that's bad, another commandment, (laughs) I called that plumber on the phone. And I said, hey man, there's a guy who almost ran me off the road on Highway 97 five minutes ago, and I don't know his name, but I know your name because your name is on the side of the truck. Here's the point. God's name is on the side of the truck. God's name is on us. You may be the only Christian person that somebody ever meets you are probably the first Christian person that your kids will ever meet. And so, what are you doing with his name? Is your life a a picture of what Christianity is? Is your life an accurate reflection of who God is? Are you honoring him, not only with your lips, but also with your life? Number three, last one, we honor God's name with our liturgy. We honor God's name with the way that we worship. I I think it's telling that in the book of Genesis, some of the very first worshipers are called 
people who called on the name of the Lord. There's no greater way to honor God's name than by praying and singing and preaching and teaching and coming to the Lord's table when we come together as God's family, when we come together as God's people to honor and glorify his name, there's nothing greater that we can do to keep the third commandment. And so the question for for me and for you, for all of us, is are you making much of God's name? Or, conversely, are you taking God's name in vain. How much does God matter to you? Do you honor God with the way that you speak? Do you honor God with the way that you live your life? There is no greater name than Jesus. His name is the name above every name. And there's no greater gift than worshiping a God who knows us by name. The beauty of the gospel is that God comes to us in our sin, in our brokenness, in our rebellion, and he gives us a white stone with a new name. He says, your name is no longer written in the book of death. Your name is written in the book of life. Are you honoring that name? Are you honoring the name of the God who has honored your name? How are you responding to the glorious grace of Jesus? Let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, how glorious and majestic is your name. We thank you for being our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. You are the great God of gods, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. We pray, Lord, that the things that we say and the things that we do would honor and glorify your name. And in areas of our lives, whether it's through the things that we say or the attitudes and actions that we have, if there is any way in which we are dishonoring your name, I pray, Lord, that you would transform us, that you would renew our minds and change our hearts, that we might put, put to death the deeds of the body, that we might put to death the deeds of Adam, and that we might embrace the attitudes and affections of Christ. Thank you for embracing us, Lord Jesus. We are the most undeserving people on earth, and yet you have shown favor to us. We are overwhelmed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.